Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode is with Abby Levine. Abby is a trail runner living in Boulder, Colorado, like half the guests on this podcast, it seems. In this episode, we talked about Abby's dive into trail running, coming from a competitive track and triathlon background. We covered Abby's first 50K, which was a race we realized we were both at, and why she enjoyed it so much. She talked about her love for Mother Nature and the environment, and how her trail running is a celebration of all of that. Abby also talked about how the running community motivates her, and what she loves most about it. Enjoy! Welcome back. I'm here in Boulder, Colorado, as it seems like most of these podcasts are done, uh, here with Abby Levine. Abby, thanks for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, So as has been tradition with the last couple of episodes, we're going to get started with the most most difficult question right off the bat. Who is Abby Levine? Oh, gosh. Uh, Stumped. hmm. I... Um, a human being on planet Earth. No. <laughs> Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, I live in Boulder. I'm USA. From, I, I feel like oh, people always, for some reason, when they answer this question, gravitate towards saying where they're from. So in, in line with that, that's an interesting sociological uh, phenomenon, actually. I'm from New Hampshire, and I very strongly identify with the East Coast. So I feel like... Go Pats. Yeah, exactly. We've bonded over <laughs> our shared love of New England sports teams. And yes... The Patriots, town. the Patriots, the Red Sox, and the Celtics all constitute New England sports, not just Boston sports. And the Bruins. And the Bruins. Excuse me. Yes, of course, the Bruins. And being from New Hampshire, I think a lot of people don't really know where New Hampshire is, and they don't realize it's close to Boston. And anyway, very strongly identify with Boston, although I'm from rural New Hampshire and live in Boulder now. I run. I write. I just got a new job. Uh writing for a cool company that donates half of its profits to climate change uh, action. And I do some freelance graphic design. And mostly I just really love being outside. Cool. And I feel like I identify with nature. That's Outdoors. kind of cliche, but. Yeah. I mean, it's the, you're in the place to be. So um, you're from the East Coast, uh, moved to Colorado for grad school. Yep. So how did you choose CU? So I ran uh, at Princeton in undergrad, and like a lot of my teammates there, I was injured for about half the time. I missed my entire freshman year of running, and then I ran cross-country sophomore year, got a stress fracture, and missed both track seasons. So when I was graduating from college, most of my peers in my class were kind of burned out from running, and I felt like I was just just getting getting going. Yeah, I was getting a lot faster, and I really wanted to keep running and see if I could get faster on the track. Um, and so I was looking at grad schools that had good running programs, 
so I could use up the rest of my NCAA eligibility. And I just really clicked with the University of Colorado coaches. I'd been to Boulder for a summer and absolutely fell in love with it, riding my bike, running the town, the environment, people. And what year was this? I graduated from undergrad in 2013. So I moved out here right after graduating. And it was, yeah, it was kind of a no brainer. And I, I really tried to keep an open mind though, during that process of looking at schools and everyone told me I'd end up at CU and they were right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you've been here for six years, now? seven, years? seven years, this is six years. Yeah. Six years. So Boulder's an interesting town. Um, as we've both learned. Um, Matt Daniels jokes that Boulder average means you have a shoe sponsor, which you have. Yeah. So congrats on so being true. average. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what is it like being in a town like this where, you know, in most scenarios, you'd be the fastest out there and here, like Matt joked that like he's a sub four miler and there's like 50 people in town just like him. Yeah. What's, so- what's it like? That's a great question. I I feel like I got a really interesting perspective as soon as I moved here. I I we were in the postseason back when I was at Princeton in the postseason of track, and I got a Facebook message from Emma Coburn saying, "Hey, I I heard you're thinking about coming to grad school here. I just bought a condo and I'm looking for a roommate." Oh, cool. So that kind of actually helped me like tip me over the edge to come to school here because I was like, oh, great. My housing is figured out. I don't have to stress about that. And somebody else figured it out for exactly. you without even doing anything. Exactly. Uh, so I lived with Emma and her then boyfriend, now husband, Joe, for the first two and a half years that I lived here. Cool. And Emma is, of course, one of the fastest runners in the world, two-time Olympian, world champion. And so right off the bat, I... I got this perspective where I was not by any means the fastest athlete in the house even. (laughs) And, but it was also good because I felt like it distanced, distanced me a little bit from that fully professional athlete life. Emma, one of the reasons she's so successful is because she's so dedicated and she's either training or she's recovering. And my brain just doesn't work like that. I can't, you're if I'm not running, time. I need to be doing something. Yeah. I can't just relax. I like I have to be moving. I have to be working. I have to, yeah, just go, go, go. And so I think that in a way, even though I am very immersed in that, all my friends pretty much are very active, I feel like I don't fully identify with the pro athlete life. Is that because you also have a full-time job or yeah, which was does a- that keep you like grounded? Definitely. And that was a very deliberate choice. After I finished running in grad school, I was actually a professional triathlete for a couple of years. And I was working for a magazine at the time, but most of my energy was going into triathlon. It's just such a demanding sport. Right. You have to be fully committed you're if, pedestrian you want, if you want to if you're do less well. than, you know, what, 15 hours a week? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I was training probably 30 hours a week. Wow. And when I wasn't training, I was exa- exhausted right. and hungry, hangry. You know, like just like totally spent. Uh, But and I was doing pretty well in the sport, but I was really unhappy because I was investing my whole life in athletics and I wasn't using my brain as much as I wanted to. And so when I switched to trail running, which really was just me quitting triathlon, I I made a very conscious effort to re to reinstate some balance into my life. So why trails? Why not road? So the reason I got into trail running uh, after I won this national championship in triathlon and then I was on my break, I was planning on going back to triathlon training and my good friend, Claire, who I went to college with, she runs in Boulder and she was doing the North Face 50 
And she was like, oh, Abby, you should come out and do one of the shorter races. And I didn't know anything about trail running. I was like, okay, sure. Maybe I'll do the marathon. And someone was like, no, you should do the 50K. The course is a little bit more interesting. I was like, okay, great. I'm just going to skip running a marathon and go <laughs> was right. Was this California? This was, yeah, in California, the, nice. the final race of the series. And so I started kind of training for this race by, I think the first trail run we went on was Lion's Lair, which is right across from where I now live. And it's just this beautiful four-mile trail that's sweeping up to the top of Mount Sinitas. And I was totally enchanted. I could not believe that this beautiful trail existed in downtown Boulder. I'd lived here for four years and I had no idea. And so Claire kind of opened my eyes to this whole world in Boulder that I didn't know existed. And I started going to Rocky Mountain Runner events, which is our local trail running group. And everyone was so cool. Like all of these doctors and lawyers and nurses and engineers would just come together on Monday nights, run up green, another local hill, and then go to the pub and drink beer and eat burgers. And that was so refreshing to me coming from triathlon where people are, which you have to be in triathlon, just one track, single-minded focus. It was just triathlon or nothing. And just meeting all these people with such diverse and, and enriched lives was so fulfilling to me. Yeah. And so then I went and did this race and I won the race by like 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. Like, I mean- What year was that? 2016? Uh, is that 16? It was like a nice sunny day. Yeah, it was beautiful. I think I was there. Oh, awesome. Oh my gosh. Were you racing? Uh yeah. Oh, which yeah, I did one? the relay. Oh, okay. hell yeah. That was the year that um Zach Miller Zach won. Zach and Hayden. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was there. It was a total battle. Yeah. It was so awesome. That was an incredible race. It was so cool. And that was part of the reason I had so much fun because in the 50K, we were kind of ahead of the 50 milers yep. as the course was set up. And so those those guys passed me and they were Hauling. Yeah. I it just blew my mind. Yeah. So I was running the 10K. Oh, nice. And yeah. um and I turned around and I thought there was an animal behind me. Oh my God. And it was Zach yeah. like closing mile forty nine. Such a beast. Mile forty nine. Like he was putting out more effort than I put in like a single mile. His ability to just redline and <laughs> shut off his brain is it's so amazing. It was impressive. So yeah. those trails are beautiful. So beautiful. Um that was actually the the day that brought the rest day Braggs crew together too. Oh. So Oh, great that's cool. day! Wow, for, that was a great day. Great day for a lot of people. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it was so cool. Um, okay, so 2016, you ran your first 50k. You won it by 30 minutes. I something like that. You, we should fact check that, but it was by a while. <laughs> that doesn't even really matter, though. The point is, I and had I a blast. Just, yeah, more it was so beautiful, and being able to race and appreciate nature at the same time right. was such a novel idea to me. So North Face 2016. Yep. You ran your first 50K, just yep. leapfrogged the marathon, um, won it handedly, and had a blast being out in nature. Yeah, it was... What's next? Well, so... Or what happened next? So when so then I kind of realized that the trail running community in Boulder is so special, and really across the country, but where I live, I love another level out here. Yeah, it really is. And... And I just loved the idea that you could combine racing in a really beautiful place and celebrating the world and also getting to race and like push yourself. That was such an awesome marriage of ideas. And I've always really liked longer events. When I was a triathlete, I was training for Olympic distance races, which were only two hours. 
And going, doing this longer race brought me back to growing up when I would go on these long bike rides with my dad and just spend all day outside. And I realized that I really wanted to be spending my time training, just having long adventures in the mountains versus fast, short stuff in a pool, going back and forth on the pool, in the pool, on the roads, on the bike or on the track running. Uh, so I was like, okay, I'm quitting triathlon. And also, as I was saying earlier, I just really wanted to use my brain more. So I quit triathlon and I thought I was just going to focus on the rest of my life. Like I knew I'd always be like, keep doing sports, but I wasn't planning on pursuing athletics at a professional level. Um, and then I just signed up for another race and that was uh, dirty 30, which is a local race that I did that in the spring. And I broke my wrist actually part with you, the race, <laughs> Uh, and I, how, how did you do that? I, it was so silly. I, it was, it was, it's a pretty technical race, but I was on the least technical section of the whole trail running on your hands and no, <laughs> I was actually doing a handstand. No, I was running and two people were in the middle of the woods out in the middle of nowhere cheering. And I, I looked up and I said, thank you for cheering. And I caught a digger, like my, my toe caught something <laughs> And I just splat onto the ground and did what you're not supposed to do and put my hands out. And my wrist just, you know, took in all the impact. And my wrist immediately, it blew up. And I had to, I should have just taken my watch off, but I was in race mode and I just kind of loosened my watch as much as it would go (laughs) and kept running. And I tried to take some water out of my band my waistband and i couldn't use my wrist i was like oh no i think it might be broken and i got to the next aid station and it's a local race so it's being all the volunteers are friends and someone asked me how a friend asked me how i was doing i was like well i think i broke my wrist but i'm okay it's good it's distracting me from the rest of the pain i'm in (laughs) so it was a really hard race and so i ended up i uh i won the race by like two minutes beat my now teammate abby hall and it was so fun it was like such a a great experience and and my friend ended up making a video about it and i think that the combination of just like that was kind of a fun story and anyway i the wrist breaking yeah exactly and i kind of so where i'm going with this is adidas reached out to me asking if i wanted to be on their new trail running team and my adidas manager he was a professional triathlete so i think i just really lucked out that he saw my triathlon results and he wanted to, they wanted to pick up new people into the sport that they could cultivate with the brand. Uh, and so, yeah, it kind of just fell into my lap. And so all of a sudden I was technically a professional runner, even though I had was trying to not be a professional athlete. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so Adidas has built a pretty cool community here in Boulder. What's it like being part of that? It's really fun. Yeah, I feel super grateful to have people like Timmy and Abby and her husband Cordis and our friend Gavin all running for Adidas. And we have we have runs, well, big group runs once a month. There are also weekly runs. Like people have really just latched onto the community, which is really cool. Uh, and then we get to all travel together to go to our larger team events around the world. And yeah, I mean, it's great, but I also really strongly identify with my friends that aren't on the Adidas team in town. Like Rocky Mountain Runners will always be my like true team and they've just they always have each other's backs and it's just such a great big group of diverse people. Cool. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Um what's 
what are the difficulties? So I think one of the things that people enjoy about this podcast is, um, and again, people of the podcast, correct me if I'm wrong, um, <laughs> like getting an insight into the life of a pro athlete, whether it's the obligations or sponsorship or behind the scenes or whatnot. Um, so what are some of the difficulties that come with being a, a sponsored or a pro athlete? Oh, yeah. Oh, I have a great example for you. Um, Let's hear it. So I broke my foot at the beginning of this summer. And so I couldn't run for a couple months. And I was really bummed because I, I broke my foot three weeks before this big Adidas race in Austria. And so all of a sudden, I no longer was able to do this race. And my manager very kindly was like, we would love for you to still come out and do commentating. So I was really nervous about going out and watching everyone run and not even be able to go out right. into the mountains. And that was actually a great experience. And it, it really reaffirmed my love of just the community of trail running, being there and supporting everyone and, and feeding off of that energy. Um, so that's not the hard part of the story. That ended up being very easy. <laughs> then I, I came back to Boulder and about a month later was able to start running. And I got peer pressured into doing this 100k put on by a friend in Rocky Mountain Runners it's the first year of this race and when I was in Austria he asked me to design the logo for the race because I do some like freelance uh graphic design for fun check out her stuff it's amazing <laughs> it's very sweet of you um and so he emails me when I'm in Austria asking for me to design the logo and he's like I don't have any money but I'll offer you a lifetime supply of free entries to my race I was like, okay, LOL, I have a broken foot. I am definitely not running 100K in a month or in a month and a half at that point with an average altitude of 12,500 feet with 15,000 feet of climbing. Like, that's insane. I've never even run over 50K. Like, what? So anyway, I come back to town and I start easing back into running, mostly through hiking. I just started going up 14ers and that was a really natural transition because I'd been doing a lot of biking when I was injured. So... Just the aerobic, the aerobic capacity translated very easily into hiking and it's not as hard on your body as running. So the next thing you know, I'm actually feeling pretty good on mountain terrain. And I kind of jokingly asked our coach, David, what he thought about me doing this 100K. And he, to my utter shock, <laughs> was like, I think this is a great idea. <laughs> like, what? Like, he's usually a pretty conservative person that has our best long-term interests at heart. So I thought, okay, if David thinks this is a good idea, it must be a pretty David good knows idea. All. But I was still pretty nervous about doing this race, mostly because it started at 7 p.m. and I'd never run through the night. And running on the Continental Divide in the middle of the night really terrified me. So is that why you so, did it? <laughs> well, so I'm still, so now I'm still hemming and hawing, like kind of leaning towards probably not doing it. Other people were telling me it was a stupid idea. Uh, and then I was at Leadville at the 100 crewing some friends and another friend, Jake in RMR comes up to me and says, Abby, you have to do the 100K. I just signed up and I was about to open my mouth and give him a bunch of excuses. <laughs> and he's like, it's a three week couch to 100K for me. I haven't been running all summer. And I'm like, oh, no, I guess I have no excuses now. So that was I Gosh, I verbally kids. committed to doing the the race on the spot. It's like, okay, I'll do it if you're doing it. So so what was it like doing a hundred K? 
Yeah. What was it like doing 100K? Well, I'll get to that in a second. I want to I want to complete your first question, which was thank you. I, I uh, forgot about the that. sponsor the sponsor component. So I do the race. It's great. Uh, and my manager emails me and says, "You are a global athlete. You shouldn't be spending your time doing quote silly community runs." And I this is probably not something he'd want me to share, but whatever. And I we can edit that out if you want. I, uh, whatever. I don't care. He's not going to listen to this. You can edit that out. <laughs> now I think I might have to keep it all. We'll have it released on the, on in, the exclusive he's Patreon. He's in Germany doing his thing. But For $1, you can hear what we just talked about. He has lots of athletes who are crushing races to worry about. Uh, but so he said that to me, and I was really disappointed because I felt like he kind of missed the point of this sport. And right. don't get me wrong. I'm training for TNF 50 this year, which is a very high profile race. I, I care about, I really like competing on a high level, but, but what really motivates me in this sport is the community aspect. Right. And this was such a cool race where I was, I basically felt like I was trick or treating, running through the night, running from one aid station to the next, and they were all crewed by my friends. It was so fun and so cool, and such a great celebration of a of a place in Colorado that I've spent a lot of time. And it really reaffirmed, like this is why I do this, this sport. Right, yeah. yeah, exactly. So for him to just totally dismiss not only the fact that. It, I, it was a hundred K with 15,000 feet of climbing that took 14 hours. You know, it wasn't like a, a like silly, a like exactly. Yeah. So that, and then just to dismiss the community aspect of trail running, which is the most beautiful yeah. part of the sport was pretty dismaying to me. Yeah. That's a bummer. I mean, so I was running with Kat this morning and she asked what's been the highlight of the trip. And my answer like immediately was the community, like literally anywhere i sit down or go for a run it's like these are my people these like these people get it um they're who i want to be surrounded by so i totally get the the like love of the community and this community in particular for sure yeah it's so special and so cool and i mean how could you not want to take advantage of that it's so anyway that's probably the hardest part of of being a sponsored athlete is trying to balance what you want to do and what motivates you and then what your sponsor wants you to do. And like, I also mentioned that I wanted to try to go after a couple FKTs like in my build up, my training build up this fall. And my manager wasn't super stoked about that idea either. And like last David, I don't think I'd talk to David about it particularly. David's so supportive of everything. <laughs> yeah. He just, if you're excited, he's excited. Yes. Uh, but one of my other favorite things I've done in the past year was this 50 mile traverse back in New Hampshire that I did to try to raise, raise awareness for land conservation, which is a really key, key way of keeping like New Hampshire's forests and wild spaces uh, intact. And there really isn't that much, as you know, there are, aren't that many protected lands in new england it's really built up but i'm from a very rural part of new hampshire and to prevent further development we we rely on people to to give these land easements of their own land to land conservations to prevent them from being developed and anyway that was really meaningful to me and i actually got a, a lot of really positive feedback from other members of the adidas uh team back in germany about it um but i'd love to do more things like that but I'm like, okay, I have to balance. 
like I get it like there's a you know you don't get anything for free in life and of course I'm sponsored to try to bring awareness to the brand and the best way to do that generally is through these big races however I really like to do my own thing and be an individual and not just part of a mark a cog in a marketing wheel so it's a balance balance is an interesting one um I like asking about it and people have very different responses around balance in life, balance in training and this and that. So how do you balance the like the need to perform on stage with social media obligations and work and relationships and family and you know sleeping? Yeah. And like how how do you do it? You have a lot on your plate. So I think I'm like everyone else definitely still trying to figure it out and I think after I got after I signed with Adidas I kind of unintentionally started focusing more on running than I wanted to. I was still working but and at the time my job writing in the outdoor industry it was very fulfilling but then I got used to it and it became easy and so I felt like I was kind of stagnating in my non-running life and trying really hard in running but you can't control a lot of things in running. Um, like the first race I did this season, I got sick. It was way too cool. And I got really sick the night before the race. And, and then it rained the whole time. And I was like, right, perfect. Right? Right? Oh yeah, you were there. <laughs> and I really stubbornly, my mom came out to the race. And so I was like, I'm all the way out here. Yeah. This is a sunk cost. I might as well race. And Frankly, it was very miserable. I did not have a great time. <laughs> you didn't look too happy crossing oh, the finish line. I mean, I felt like absolute dog shit. Yeah. I couldn't breathe the whole day. I felt so drained. I'd taken NyQuil the night before, which was probably a bad idea. I just felt really lethargic. I threw up a couple times in my mouth during the race. And just I just felt really off. It, it was not a very fun experience. And then I did another race in Montana, which went fine. But it wasn't great, but it was put on by the Prickly Pear Land Trust, which is a land trust in Helena, the capital of Montana, that helps to conserve their amazing trails and mountains, like foothills, it's a lot like Boulder, around the town. And I was so inspired by that land trust as I was racing and just this beautiful landscape we were in that I crossed the line and I called my mom, who's a lawyer, and I said, Mom, I think I need to go to law school. <laughs> And I was wondering what that yeah, so that came about. That had kind of been in the back of my mind for years, actually. And I had hemmed and hawed. I'd actually started studying for the LSAT a couple of years ago and I stopped for various reasons. But this race crystallized to me that I wanted to be doing more, like in a very tangible way, uh, to support the environment. And I've been looking for for jobs for several years that were more aligned with that. And I just realized that I thought that having a law degree would be really useful to try to do the work I want to do. Uh, so I started studying for the LSAT pretty soon after that, after that race. And, and then of course, you know, when it rains, it pours and I ended up finding this really cool job this summer or this fall as well. So I'm excited about my new job and I plan on staying at it for a while, but I am still excited about the prospect of going to law school. Um, 
so, and I actually, I feel a lot happier now that I have more of a balance where I feel like I'm really striving and working hard at something other than running. And I think long-term that will help my running because I generally don't run as well when I'm too fixated on it. And when I feel like, and my mom kind of hit the nail on the head when I was talking to her after this race, she was like, you know, I feel like you have, you have these skills in life and also passions that you're suppressing for your running and it and you're putting too much of your self-worth is predicated on your running but but what if you look at it as running gives you a platform to have an audience and the better i don't want to say the better you run but like the more you connect with the running community the more you can totally portray that message i completely i completely agree but if i feel like if my only strategy in life was I need to race well so I can get more people excited about the environment. I would be putting so much pressure on yeah. myself that I wouldn't run as well. When I, I feel like that but follows think, naturally when I, I have balance. Yeah, and, and it's less of a this than that. It's a this and that. Exactly. Like you look yeah. at someone like Rob Carr. He has an incredible platform that he uses to talk about mental health. He doesn't have to win races to have that platform no but he has won some very yeah races, that's true maybe you know? it's that's not the best example but someone like that there's no like longer we'll, an expectation of there isn't once you get to that level of success yeah you have to get there first and i haven't won any i haven't won western states or utmb or any of those big races where once you've done that you kind of i think maybe have but that platform why but is, I also, why is winning what what qualifies it I don't know. But I, I also don't care. Like I I don't actively try to cultivate a big online following. Like that's just not something yeah. that brings me satisfaction. Like if people care and want to follow along, that's cool. But it's just it doesn't motivate me. I don't yeah. wake up thinking I need to try to get more Instagram followers today. That's just not something that right. that lights my fire. But connecting with people right. on a personal level, really, that lights right. my fire. And feeling like I'm doing something tangible, right. that's what makes me excited. That makes sense. I think, I think that's, that's a good way to put it. Um, why did you go, switching gears entirely, yeah. why did you go for your first run? Go for my first run yeah. ever in my life? Yeah. Oh. Ooh. Throwing it back. Oh, no, I, I like this question a lot. Uh, okay. So I think my very first run, I was a competitive swimmer growing up. I swam year round pretty like probably 363 days a year. Uh, what were the two days off? Uh, it would be like, Birthday if I was Year's? sick, no, oh no, we swam on new year's, we swam on Thanksgiving, we swam on Christmas. It would be like if I was sick or if I was yeah. at a funeral or something, you know, it was, yeah. I remember skipping swim practice once to go to the state fair when I was in like third grade and my coach was so angry that I was like, okay, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Great. Um, yeah, it was intense. But anyway. Keene, New Hampshire has a has a rigid swim program. They do. That's wow. right. I mean, and one of my teammates, she's now training for the Olympics. Like she's, you know, we had some very good yeah. swimmers for a very small population. But anyway, when we, when I was in maybe fourth grade my coach decided it would be a good idea for us to start running a couple days after swim practice and the first day he had us run a lap around the field hockey field 
it took maybe five minutes and we were crying. I'm not exaggerating. I thought it was the hardest thing. And granted, we just swam a hard swim practice and I was probably dehydrated. But the, the feeling of running was so foreign and it felt so hard. It just felt like I was fighting gravity. Uh, I hated it. And we finished the lap. And then he said, okay, another lap. <laughs> and I, it was very traumatizing. <laughs> so I hated running. And in school, you know, we had like a couple running races and I tried to get out of them. I hated it. They were too short, probably. <laughs> I don't know. That's actually probably true. Uh, but then I had a growth spurt in seventh grade, seventh and eighth grade. And all of a sudden I had these really long legs and we started running after we were still running after some practice. And I started beating everyone, including our coach who ran every day. <laughs> And all of a sudden, it was really fun. And not because I was winning, but more just because it was comfortable. Yeah. And I was beginning to experience that freedom you get through running through a landscape versus swimming back and forth, staring at a black line. But that, but I still, I was very stubborn. And I really, I thought of myself as a swimmer. Um, and I went to boarding school for high school. Sorry, now I'm just giving you this whole background. You asked me about my first run. Yeah. This is podcast is all about um, you. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I went to I went to boarding school um, only really because I wanted to swim. Uh, my swim team was 30 minutes west of my house and the high school I would have gone to was 30 minutes east of my so house. You just ran and in between. No, no. <laughs> my parents were basically They're like a great ultra runner. Eh, that would have been actually a more interesting story. Unfortunately, that's not <laughs> what happened. My what happened is my parents were like we're not driving you hours every day so you can go to high school and to swimming right so they were like if you want to swim you have to go to boarding school so i got shipped off to boarding school very classic new england style and we had to do a sport in the fall swimming was in the winter so i picked up cross country and just i fell in love with it immediately cool so you weren't running what more than a 5k for races 8k 10k 5k 5k okay so now you're multiplying that by 20 Mm. How did you get from 5k to 100k? Mm. Besides for the couch to 100k, right. let's let's talk about the right. the progression of you skipped the marathon and went straight to the 50k. What what is it about the longer distances that that excites you? I just I really love once you get into that deep dark hole where you're exhausted and it's like more of a mental thing than a physical thing but like can when i keep going exactly yeah when you're you're really on that edge of like just deep fatigue and you're not exactly sure what's going to happen you're kind is that of where you would, into the unknown is that where you would call it type two fun or is that still type one for you it really depends on the race so going back to this 100k i recently did that was honestly all type one fun. That was my favorite race I've ever done. I had the best time. And I don't know if it's because I felt really good. Like everything just clicked. Um, but did you, get, did you get into flow? I mean, if probably. I don't know. Yes, I guess. I don't know. I don't really know what that means. People always talk about. You'll know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess like it, it went by. It went by really fast. It was kind of strange. I was out there for over 14 hours and in some ways it went by faster yeah. than some of my more miserable 10Ks on the track, which feel like an eternity. eternity yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The long stuff, it's just, it's so much more than just the physical component of running. Yeah. 
It's like the the how long can I sustain feeling like this? And I think that's fascinating. Like the the longer you can hold on to that. And just the problem solving. What can I eat? What is my what what is my stomach gonna let me eat? Okay, my mind's starting to slip into this place it shouldn't go. How am I gonna pull myself myself back out of this? Oh, I fell and now I'm bleeding. How am I gonna handle that? I twisted my ankle. I just I love all of those problem solving things. Exactly. Puzzle. Yeah. Do you feel any pressure or do you feel any desire to go longer? I don't feel any pressure, but well, I think I think I want to hang out in the hundred k distance for a little while since I've only done one. I'm I'm really excited to explore that distance a little bit more. Um, I'm really more inspired by races and landscapes than distances. Mm-hmm. So I think, for example, I'd love to do Hard Rock someday, which is a hundred miles, just because I think that course is really cool. But I don't have any desire to do Western states that course doesn't attract me at all. So it's really, it's more course dependent. So than it's, mount, de- it's the mountains. I really, and this is hilarious. Uh, Claire and I joke a lot because when we started being friends, I was the one that loved doing the fast stuff and she liked doing the slower hikey stuff. And now we've totally reversed and I love hiking. I think it's the best. The, uh, yeah, the more I can hike in a race, the better. And, I also just really love getting on top of mountains and exploring everything from the base to the summit. And so, yeah, I'm just really excited to do more races that go over that type of terrain and the training. I mean, let's be real. You spend most of your time training for the race. The race itself is one day and usually or a couple days, (laughs) right? It's a very small fraction of the amount of time that you spend preparing. And so I, I, I also gravitate towards, okay, what training inspires me? Getting up on the mountains. That makes sense. Yeah. What scares you? Ooh. Well, I think what scares me the most is just stagnating and not continuing to strive towards something, whether it's in running or in the rest of my life and just getting complacent. Um, And that's kind of where I felt like I was when I did that race in Montana. My life felt too easy. I had this job that I could do without thinking too hard. And I, you know, had a running contract and I have all these friends in Boulder and I live in Boulder. And it just, it felt like everything was a little bit too perfect. And that was really unsettling. That would keep me up at night. And it scared me too because I felt like I wasn't, striving towards anything really concrete so i think that's what scares me the most i was also quite scared of running through the night but i i conquered that fear (laughs) yeah this running through the night thing is definitely scary um i think a lot of people struggle with the same thing um like where do i go from here what am i doing is this my path um i saw a post from maggie rush who is um the person i'm staying with here in boulder and I'm going to butcher the the statement, so I'm going to look it up right now while we're on this podcast. Hang on with me one second. We're not going to edit this because we don't do editing on this podcast. And let's hope the internet works. I'm just going to ramble real quick oh, while I, this well, is... Well, uh, I can, I can uh, share with you the, the Wi-Fi if necessary. Well, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it. Anyways, basically, it was saying... Oh, and it's not loading here, of course. I have terrible service. I'm sorry. It's all good. Thanks for hanging in here, people. (laughs) 
Um, basically, it said it said something along the lines of, um, "Am I doing things that excite me, fulfill me?" And um, man, I'll put this in the show notes. Now we're doing show notes. <laughs> Hell yeah, I love show notes. Um, anyways, it was basically like, "Are you doing things that that are truly in line with what you're what you're passionate about and what you want to bring into this world?" And I feel like a lot of people are like stuck in jobs that they don't enjoy or they don't feel passionate about. And then on the flip side, like at the start line, um, what was it yesterday? One woman came up to me and was like, your voice sounds familiar. Do you host a podcast? Oh my God. And I was like, I do. It's called For the Longer. She's like, oh my God, I love it. That's so and awesome. And I was like, holy shit, this, this is exactly why. I do it like yeah. I, for these connections for like putting out good information and good stuff. And, um, I don't normally talk to the audience quite as much, but thank you for t- tuning <laughs> in and sharing all your comments and all that fun stuff. Um, but it's like, how do you, how do you get to a place like that where, um, where your passion, your job and your hobbies are like really in line with like who you are at your core? How, how have you gotten there? Well, I think it's, a constant state of of reevaluation yeah. because that's the whole definition of stagnation right is that you stop progressing so i think you have to constantly be re- reassessing okay what do i care about now in my life cuz those your values change over time right what do i care about what am i doing how can i more closely align to what i want to be doing it's just it's yeah every day and, and take risks yeah, exactly. Taking risks. Is you got to get uncomfortable sometimes. So I was able to pull this up. It said, it's about these three questions with whatever we're doing in life, which are, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And is it in the highest divine alignment or alignment with my authentic blueprint, who I am? So a huge clue is what brings me joy. Ooh, I like that. Spicy, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So, so the joy piece, like how do you align work with joy and hobbies with joy? And like bringing happiness to other people, I guess, or, you know, something like that. Well, I I think it's first important to acknowledge the fact that we are in a very privileged position where we have the luxury of choosing what we do with our lives. Um, And so and but once you acknowledge that, not taking that for granted and really trying to make the most of the positions that we were born into, which is in America, like with families that were able to support us. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I think it's a lot of it's trial and error, you know, like I didn't know I had to try triathlon to see if it would bring me joy. And in some ways it did. And in some ways it didn't. And so then I had to reevaluate Marie Kondo that shit. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and like, (laughs) that's hilarious. It's a great verb. (laughs) Trademark. (laughs) We're going to have to pay some royalties on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. You trademarked it. Oh, People yeah. are going to have to pay you now. Um, yeah, I'm not going to need ads. Just just that. I, yeah, exactly. Anytime someone says it. Yeah. Uh, I think also a lot of it is just embracing the unknown and embracing what life throws at you. For example, when I broke this, my foot this summer, I was super bummed out for a couple of days. And I just felt like all my plans were thrown out the window out of my own not under my own volition, which is a very shitty feeling, but I made a very conscious choice. Okay. I'm going to make the most of this. What, 
how can I improve as a person while I'm injured? And going back to my days biking with my dad, I just biked a lot. And I had the best time really learning the area around Boulder, all of the dirt roads. Like I now have all these amazing dirt dirt road like running map. loops. We went, we went for a run yesterday and it was like, this is that peak, that peak, this peak, that peak. It was pretty impressive. Well, yeah, I'm really excited now for the winter when we do a lot of uh, road dirt, r- running on dirt roads. So I have all of these, all of these ideas, all these loops to do. And I got to know people I wouldn't have gone to know if I was just running. I explored a lot of cool little towns. And now, it, yeah, it was a really great experience of learning about this area more and also building my aerobic base in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was just running. Um, and that was that brought me a lot of joy, actually. I biked to Denver for the first time and got some great pastries and biked back. And that was cool to connect the city that I haven't spent that much time in to Boulder and realize that it's actually really awesome and not that far away. I discovered a lot of great bakeries. That was a highlight. What's your favorite pastry? Uh, it's the, it's called a, what is it called? It starts with a K-N. It's basically like, they say some at Moxie Bread Co., which is in Louisville. And it's like a crown or something. That's not exactly the name, but it's like a croissant, but it's sweet and it has a filling in it. My favorite one was the pink strawberry lemonade. So it was strawberries with like a lemon curd. Ooh. That sounds good. That's good stuff. Do you have a go-to post-run treat? Hmm. Or post-ride? Or during ride? Intro ride? Those pastries, I ate a lot of those during my my bike rides. Also, in Gold Hill, Hill where we were yesterday for this race, cookies. they have the best chocolate chip cookies, and they're like the size of your face. <laughs> and those are my favorite cookies ever. I could eat. The, I ate one of those after the race yesterday, so it's probably my favorite post activity treat, but not necessarily the one I have the most because it's kind of far away. And you got to bike up three thousand feet to get right. Exactly. Um, well, that's cool. Pastries are great. Um, <laughs> as I said, I ran with Cat this morning, and she she's all about the carrot cake. Oof, yeah, the carrot cake was pretty good. Carrot cake. It was it was good. Um, let's talk about nutrition. We. Connected through Inside Tracker, um, how do you use? How do you use? And I don't want this to be like about Inside Tracker. Like, how do you use nutrition to to support the work that you're doing? Obviously, you had a, a stress fracture, so yeah. How have you been more mindful around what you're putting into your body to support? the work that you're asking of it. Well, I'm pretty confident the stress fracture wasn't nutrition related. I'm pretty sure it was shoe related. I unfortunately Adidas changed all of its sizing this year for their trail shoes and the shipment of shoes I got in the spring were all too big, all my mm-hmm. trail shoes. So I was not running in the most supportive shoes on technical trails and I'm pretty sure that's why I broke my foot. It's the only bone only injury changed, I've yeah. had in the last 10 years. Um but that being said, nutrition is something I think about, or I don't really think about it, but it's something that's really key to my life as an athlete and outside of running because I just really love food and I think it's such a, it adds so much vibrance to our yeah. life, eating great food and Connecting and with people community. over food. Exactly, yeah. Shout out to Rad Boulder. Yes, <laughs> love love you, Kelly. You're, my, you're an angel. <laughs> Keep us so well fed. Um. But so, okay, coming from a track background at Princeton, there was a very unhealthy eating culture uh, on both the men's and the women's team, especially on the women's team. 
And it was something that really irked me starting freshman year. And I really, I just hated being around it. I didn't like eating with a lot of the girls on the team. It Were they was really not stressful. It was just like a lot of salads and restrictive yeah. eating behavior. Not out of and food allergies, but out of like... No, I mean, maybe under the guise of food allergies yeah. sometimes, but... But it's just, I mean, it's what you expect in at a really high-functioning school with a lot of high, very, very high-functioning runners. Yeah. You know, runners tend to be type A, and then you put them in a type A school, and it's like the creme de la creme of type A type people. And and it's also one of those things that's self-perpetuating, and if there's a seed of that culture, it just grows. And so I actually started eating a lot of my meals by myself freshman year and then we have this very weird thing called eating clubs at princeton and big fan of eating clubs yeah <laughs> me too <laughs> um except not well it's that's a whole another can of worms or kind of stupid to be honest kind of elitist and dumb but but it's what all the kids on the team that's where they ate all their meals all the upperclassmen and i wanted at that point i was like okay i want to eat with my friends who were mostly the guys team. So all the girls joined one eating club, the girls on the team, and all the guys joined another eating club, and I joined them with the guys. And that was- Are these like dining halls? So there are these very large houses on a street called Prospect Street. They line both sides of the street, beautifully maintained, and they have dining halls in them with really good food, actually, but it's also where all the parties are, and they have- these beautiful libraries where you can study. So you end up spending a lot of time there. And the the eating club that the men's team joined was really cool. It was really diverse, had a lot of non-athletes on it, which was great because you end up once when you're on a college team, it can be pretty insular and you spend a lot of time with your teammates. So I really appreciated getting to spend time with people outside of running. Um, but it's where you eat all your meals. So uh, I was able to eat, pretty well being in that environment however college was pretty stressful and i had the worst snacking habits i would eat like a box of wheat thins after when i was studying at night or like a box of honey nut honey nut cheerios just like things that weren't fueling me well and i realized that once i moved out to boulder it's like i kind of feel like crap and i think it's because i'm eating a lot of processed food out of stress and so just kind of trying to switch to more wholesome foods, which I also started doing when I realized I was really anemic when I moved out to Colorado, just really thinking about, okay, where does my food come from? Trying to eat locally, not eating processed things, and most importantly, just eating intuitively and really listening to my body and my cravings and, and making sure I was always eating enough and being full. That's, I think, the most important thing for me. And eating the oatmeal. And eating picky oats. <laughs> Which, thanks to Jonathan, I am obsessed with. Yeah, they're pretty great. Um, what do you? How do you think that we get beyond the like? I don't want to call it diet culture, but like that culture you were talking about. It's hard because running is a sport where you're rewarded for being really skinny, at least for temporarily. Yeah, exactly, temporarily. And so, I'm really grateful in a way that I was in that environment with a bunch of type a cross country and track girls because i got to see that cycle especially because i was in the ncaa for six years in undergrad and grad school 
I saw that cycle happen so many times like broken where there would be a, someone who was normal sized and then all of a sudden they were really skinny and then they ran phenomenally for a season and then you didn't hear about them again. And I think one of the reasons that I'm still running competitively now many years after college is because I was able to see that and be like, okay, I don't, I don't want to be yeah. like that. Well, it's hard because you see it on, you know, something like Instagram, you see people posting their highlight reels and then you don't see the, the drop off when they're injured or whatever. Right. Right. You it looks pe- like everyone's always right. being successful in all reality. All you're seeing are these small snapshots, right. S- Snapchat, Snapchat. <laughs> snapshots, maybe also snapshots into their lives. Yeah. So what's next? Uh, TNF 50, but maybe a couple more tune-ups along the way. We'll see. Some mountain adventures? Yeah, I really want to go spend some time up in either Crested Butte or the Aspen area. So we'll see. Something where I can go enjoy the foliage. Nice. Well, in it's changing in Netherland. Yeah, I know. So well, even our race yesterday, we could see yeah, it a little bit. Getting yellow and red. Yeah. This well, cool. Is my favorite time of year. It's a good time to be here in Boulder. So uh, I, I don't want to leave, but I know, unfortunately, don't I have leave. to. <laughs> well, Abby, thanks so much. This was a blast. Um, where can we find you on social media? Uh, I guess Instagram, A P L E V E N E. P is for my middle name. It sounds kind of like Apple, which <laughs> actually is what my parents call me sometimes as apple fun not relevant fact uh i have a twitter account that i don't really use that much i think it's levine machine which was what coach wet mark wetmore at cu called me which i take as a very high compliment and i think is part of the reason that i trail run run now is just getting into that machine mindset and uh facebook i guess but do people even use facebook my parents <laughs> yeah exactly if you want to hang grandma. out with my parents <laughs> or claire's can... grandma or grandpa no, yes claire gallagher's grandfather jack gallagher gallagher who well his facebook <laughs> name is jack gallagher gallagher he friended me on facebook this past year and i am very proud to say that that is the highlight of my year and you just celebrated a big milestone yes it was his 89th birthday and i went to his birthday party last night was it wild it he it was lit up. Him and his friend Bruce, who's ninety four, they get down. They were yeah. It was great though. That's like I'm very Goals. grateful to have Claire and her family in my life. Yeah, it's if she left Colorado, I don't know what I would do. I'd probably have to leave too. Yeah. Well, on that note, Claire Gallagher, please don't leave Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to say the same thing about myself, but anyway. No, you're not allowed to leave. <laughs> All right, thanks That's so much. That's an official report for Inside Tracker. <laughs> Jonathan needs to spend more time in Colorado. Perfect. Good deal. I'll forward that along to my boss. Thanks, Abby. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.